So today we're going to continue our Lenten series entitled Abundant Life, which uh, was introduced on Ash Wednesday. So if you weren't there, I'll just give a quick overview. Again, um, we're going to be exploring throughout the Lenten season how we might more deeply know and live into the abundant life that God offers to us as his people in Jesus. Remember the reason that Jesus came, and this is the verse that's hanging over our Lenten season um, at Church of the Cross from John 10.10, when he says that he's come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. So our hope and desire after going through this Lenten season, which is a season of renewal, is that you will know more deeply the abundant life that God is offering you in Jesus, and that you will grow in that abundant life. The reality is this abundant life is opposed, though, and it always has been opposed. As we read in Genesis, the first human couple was tempted by the serpent to find their life outside of God, to reject God's apparently restrictive word in order to gain more life. That was to eat the attractive and desirable fruit that was a delight to the eyes in order, as the serpent said, that you might become like God. That's the way that temptation works. Something appealing and attractive is presented to us uh, as a way to better, fuller, and easier life. And we all know this. We all know that there's offers of life all over the place. These other ways offer self-indulgence rather than self-denial. They offer instant gratification rather than the long and painstaking process of planting seeds, nourishing them, and then seeing these uh, burst through the ground, grow into a tree, and eventually bear fruit. The counterfeit ways of life are always ways that can't deliver, but promise a lot. It's like trying to quench your thirst with Coca-Cola. Seems like a good idea, and they spend millions of dollars trying to convince us that this is the right thing, but it doesn't work no, no matter how hard we try. Sure, it's attractive and it tastes good going down, but in the end, it actually only exacerbates the problem. It makes you more thirsty. And the same is true of trying to satisfy our desire for life on anything outside of God. It won't give us life. It actually leaves us more empty than before. We're told about this opposition to the abundant life throughout the scriptures. We see it again in Genesis 3 as we looked at all the way to, uh, through the New Testament. One of the places it's very explicit is in 1 Peter 5 where Peter says, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And we see his prowling around in Matthew chapter 4, as we're looking at today with Jesus. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, to face the devil's offers of counterfeit life. Peter tells us after he mentions that in uh, 1 Peter 5, resist him, resist the one who's prowling around trying to devour you, firm in your faith. That's the exhortation that he gives. And this is what we see Jesus modeling for us here in Matthew 4. So the question I want us to consider is how? How do we resist counterfeit life? How does Jesus resist the devil and withstand the temptations that he faces? And then how how might we do the same as his followers and therefore remain in and even go deeper in the abundant life of God? Because we have to see that all of that temptation out there, all of the other calls to life are untrue. They won't deliver. And they take us away from the true life that God is giving us. So how do we do this? 
So open up to Matthew 4, if you've got your Bible, and look at verse 2. A verse I would submit to you that is easily and often skipped over in such a well-known passage, but one that I would suggest this morning holds the key. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Think about this for a moment. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The lesson of fasting, which we'll come back to examine more fully in a few weeks, is that we are depriving ourselves of something that we want or need, something that we depend on. And in this case, and most traditionally, fasting means abstaining from food, which is our most basic necessity. And doing this, depriving ourselves of this want or need, as a way of redirecting our desire to God himself, and as a way of reinforcing the fact that God is all that we ultimately need. Fasting is shutting off a particular desire, starving a particular appetite, as a way of giving God our full focus and attention. We redirect our food-seeking energy to the God who made us. Imagine for a moment a dam with multiple doors at the base of the dam that let water out to keep the reservoir above it at the right level. Normally, all the doors are open and water is flowing out evenly. But imagine shutting down one of those doors and then taking that extra water and forcing it through another one of the holes of the doors. All of that water gets redirected with greater force through the one door that remains open. And that's a decent picture of what's going on in fasting. We're shutting off one of the doors and redirecting what would be directed through that door toward God. This redirection in fasting occurs through scripture and prayer, or as in Isaiah 58, acts of mercy and justice. One who fasts is not merely depriving his body of food and obsessing over his hunger, uh, or I should say that he should not be. I've fasted in that way before, where all I could do was think about what I wanted to eat, and uh, it was a pretty ineffective day, <laughs> or days, I've done that many times, and kind of miserable. In addition, in other words, to shutting something down, we open something else up, our hunger for God, aiming and redirecting our focus upon him, giving him our focus, our desire, our longing. So before we even get into this text, we're opened to something here, that Jesus is fasting, meditating, no doubt, upon the scriptures, in communion with his Father in prayer. And he did this for 40 days in the wilderness, and then he faced the devil's temptation. We're told, if you notice in verse 2, that he was hungry. Seems like an obvious thing to say after we've been told he hadn't eaten for 40 days. It's interesting, isn't it? We're told that his body is weak and in need. But then we're shown 
through the rest of this text up to verse 11, that Jesus' spirit is strong, robust, unmovable, unshakable. He resists the one, his adversary, seeking to devour him, firm in his faith. And I just want to ask, how could he not be firm in his faith? Seriously, he had just spent 40 days alone with his father in the wilderness. False identities were unavailable in the wilderness. Fleshly desires and distractions that they create were shut off. He wasn't getting any performance reviews at the office upon which he based how he felt about himself. He wasn't checking the sales of his carpentry. He wasn't seeing how many likes he received on an Instagram post. And thanks be to God, he wasn't tweeting or blogging from the wilderness about his experience. He wasn't worrying about whether his friends liked him or not. He wasn't constantly hearing the news from Jerusalem, wondering what next big move Pontius Pilate was going to make and how that might affect him and what he could say about it. He wasn't looking forward to his next meal or to what nice dessert or treat he would have when he got home from his daily labors. His whole being, for 40 days and nights, was aimed and focused upon his father. His father had his soul and undivided attention. His father was his only companion. His father was his focus. And thus, his father was his strength, his sustenance, his only source of input. His father's love was his only source of satisfaction, his delight. His father's word was the only word that he would hear. There were no other competitors for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Everything else stripped away. All the distractions silenced. It was Jesus and his Father. So when the devil aims three sharp arrows at him, three temptations, Jesus resists at every point. Why? How? He's so deeply rooted in the life of his Father, so deeply anchored. He knows that God is his only life. As he says in John 4, he knows that his food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You've all had a splinter before. Uh, Sometimes we get a splinter only superficially, you know, it just kind of pricks us and it's sitting there and we can just grab it with our fingers and pull it out. Uh, Other times it goes in deeper and it's more challenging to get out, but we can get it out with some level of work. Uh, Sometimes we use tweezers. Uh, A couple of years ago in our family, Chloe got a splinter off of our 100 plus year old wood floor in our kitchen that was different than these other kinds of splinters. It buried down deep, caused a lot of pain, and we couldn't even see it. And so she hobbled around on it for a week before finally going to our friend who's a dermatologist and basically having surgery to remove the splinter from her foot. So when the devil comes to Jesus after 40 days of fasting and praying and meditation upon the word, Jesus is like that splinter that has gone down so deep into the life of his father 
that there's nothing for the enemy to grab hold of, to try to rip him out. What about us? Are we deeply rooted in the God who made us? Or are we barely just sticking in and thus giving the enemy a whole lot to grab onto and to yank us out? The more full that we are of God's love and grace, a love and grace, mind you, that's not dependent upon whether you fasted 40 days and nights. The more enamored that we are with the goodness of God, and the grace of God, the less attractive all the counterfeit versions of life will be to us. A few years ago, I was talking with a young man who had spent a number of years of his life addicted to pornography and had found his life just being eaten up by this counterfeit version of life, one that's rampant in our culture among both men and women, one that destroys us from the inside out. And he told me the story of how God had set him free from that. And he had been living for a number of years now, freed up from that sickness and, health and, and disease and what he would have called to some degree an addiction. And at the end of the conversation, I, I just asked him, I said, so why is it that you no longer look at pornography? Just trying to kind of summarize what we just talked about. And he said, and he looked at and he said, because God is better. Because God is better. It was so powerful to me. So you replace pornography with whatever it might be that tempts you in your life. Whatever counterfeit version of life that you're seeking after. Why is it that you don't throw yourself into your career in denial of your relationships? Because God is better. Why is it that you don't orient your life to just being successful through your, your work? Because God is better. Why is it that... And go on and go on. Because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If our vision is consumed with the goodness of God and his love, we will be less easily ripped out of his abundant life, which the enemy who prowls around is trying to do all the time to get us off track. To be consumed with the love of God is to, be, uh, is to leave little room for the ways of the world that promise so much, yet deliver nothing or very little. As we grow in this, we'll start little by little. I don't imagine that any of us will start with 40 days of fasting during this Lenten season like Jesus did in the wilderness. But we start where we are. It's likely that Jesus, that what we see here in Matthew 4 is the culmination of a lifetime of practices. If we get a glimpse of him as a 12-year-old boy in the temple and speaking about his father, there's no doubt that he had developed a life with his father throughout his growing up days as a carpenter with Joseph and Mary, submitting to them and working through his life, that he had nurtured this deep life that led him to this place then of being in the wilderness for 40 days and nights without food. We find him, as we pick it up here in Matthew 4, in his maturity, deeply rooted. We should be encouraged to start where we are in this. But I want to encourage you, at the very least, to start or to continue 
Again, to take advantage of the Lenten season and its emphasis upon disciplines that are meant to be guiding us through the whole of the Christian life, not just in these 40 days. And to pick something up. If scripture reading has been challenging for you, just to start five minutes this week, a day, and open up the Bible. Give your attention. Turn your face to the living God. Jesus fasted 40 days and nights. Now, the second point from this text is that Jesus specifically resists the temptations of the devil. By what? By quoting scripture. Which is to say that the point of the life of the disciplines or of the way of seeking God is always to hear God's word. That first quotation from Deuteronomy 8.3 is essential. We live by every word, Jesus says, that proceeds from the mouth of God. Everything stems from this. Everything stems from the word. God has spoken. When we pray, when we open up scripture, when we sit in solitude or silence, when we fast, we are not necessarily seeking a mystical experience with God that will in some way change the way that we feel. I'm not suggesting that that's problematic or wrong to hope for. Certainly it's not. But we are ultimately, first and foremost, listening for the word of God. We're listening for him to speak because he's spoken already so clearly. His word is enough. His word is the place in which we gather a clear vision of him, a vision of ourselves, a vision of the world, of a sense of his heart, a knowledge of his love, an appreciation of his grace, wisdom for living, and more and more. His word is enough, and we hang on it. We eat it. We consume it. And it is as sweet as honey in our mouths, the psalmist says. The word is where we have life. The word is our life. The word is the one, the, the word is the word of truth that refutes every lie of the one who prowls around and traffics in lies. And the word has spoken clearly to us. And what we see in the encounter with the devil and Jesus in the wilderness is that the heart of the disciplines that Jesus has just been practicing is a rootedness in the word of God in which we find the wholeness of life and the truth that refutes falsehood. So Jesus, rooted in this word, rooted in his Father, refutes the temptations of the devil by quoting that word back to him. It is written, he says, quoting Deuteronomy 8. It is written, quoting Deuteronomy 6. It is written, quoting Deuteronomy 6 again. The reality is, is you and I will be tempted and tried throughout our lives. But Jesus shows us the way of resistance here, a way of clinging to the word. There there is no other way of resistance other than growing deep in the Father and in his word of life to us. To walk in the way of life is to walk in the way of the word. It's, it's, It's interesting, isn't it, back in Genesis 3, that it's the word that the serpent undermines. It's the word of God that the serpent undoes. Did God really say And temptations always refute, always undermine the true word of God that leads us to life and offer a counterfeit way and introduce death. This word, the word, is our anchor in our sphere of living. 
So we're called as the people of God to hold fast to it, to be knowledgeable of it, to drink deeply from it. So Paul, exhorting the church in Colossae that he had never met, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This word helps us to see. And through the lens of this word, Jesus is able to spot the deceptions of the devil. A seemingly harmless request to make stones into bread that would in some way lead Jesus down the path of providing for himself and failing to trust his father for his needs. A stunt, throw yourself down. Show me that you really are the son of God. That's how the devil begins with Jesus. If you are the son of God, And Jesus says, no, 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 I know I'm not supposed to put my father to the test. And then a more frontal attack, losing the subtleties, the third one of bow down and worship me and I'll give you all that you can see. All these kingdoms met by the sword of the the word, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The psalmist says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. Have you felt that way about the Bible lately? That in this book you have the words of God, great treasure to be feasted upon, to be opened, to be used, to be studied, to be meditated upon, in order that you might know the abundance and depth and riches of the life that the the God of the word is offering to you through the word. He will meet you here and sharpen you. So, abundant life. Being driven down deep into the Father and His Word. A word of life. As if your life depends upon it. Have you taken any time to be rooted in your Father. Is your attachment to him only superficial, barely hanging on, easily plucked out by the next attractive offer of life that comes and woos you? Or are you only kind of halfway in, halfway down, halfway out, hedging your bets, keeping one foot in the world of counterfeit life, and placing one foot in the world of abundant life. One thing we can say for certain, the temptations are coming. They're they're all around us. We breathe them every day. And God is saying, come deeper into me. Come deeper into my life. Shut some things off for a time, maybe for five minutes every day, and come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I'll speak to you. Come to me, and I will root you more deeply into the life that I have called you out for, that I have given to you by my grace and by my love and by my mercy that you cannot earn, that you cannot earn more of, but I will give it to you more deeply as you come to me and rest in my love, rest in me. And put your roots down more deeply into my word. Lay down all of your counterfeit ways of life and be anchored in me. All the way down. 
This is God's heart of love for us. Longing for us to live. Longing for us to come to the fullness of the life that he has won for us at Calvary. I trust that you know in your own life, as you think about your own life, how to apply this witness of Jesus this morning to go deeply into the life of your Father. Amen.